0: We, we are in Isaiah chapter 42 this week, and although Isaiah 42 is 25 verses long, only, we're only going to look at the first nine verses, and then actually we're only going to focus on four of those nine verses. So, Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. And if you guys, uh, you, you don't have to stand if you don't want to, but if you would follow along as we read. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, from those, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. May God add his blessing to the reading of His word. This passage of scripture that we just read out loud, it is the first of what are called servant songs. Uh, Sorry. My glasses broke on Friday night and they're temporarily fixed and I almost messed them up. Um, This is called a servant song. It's one of four that show up in the book of Isaiah. Now, if you'll see on the screen, I have them listed for us. Isaiah chapter 4 Uh, excuse me, 42 verses 1 to 7, that's, uh, excuse me, 1 to 9, I chose a bad font, I can't see it. Isaiah chapter 49 verses 1 to 13, Isaiah 50 verses 4 to 11, Isaiah 52 verses 13 through Isaiah 53 verse 12. Those are the four servant songs of Isaiah. Now, I've got Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 3 listed as well. And the reason for that is, there are some scholars who have added 61 verses 1 to 3 to the list. But originally, the list was only 4. And where did this list come from? It came from a guy in the year 1892. He published a book that was a commentary on the book of Isaiah. His name was Bernard Doom. D-U-H-M And Doom is credited with coming up with this idea of the servant songs of Isaiah Now, um, this idea of servant song is basically a poem And it's, it's a poem that exalts or talks about or teaches about this servant of the Lord The question then comes up when you're talking about these songs, and we're now only going to focus on the one, which is Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. So when we're talking about this servant in this servant song, the question that scholars have said is, well, who is this servant? Who are we talking about? And um, as I was doing my studies, one of the things I learned was that this term servant of the Lord Is mentioned in between in uh, in in chapter forty one through chapter fifty three. It is the word servant is used nine. Excuse me, is used twenty times. In chapters one through thirty nine, it's only used nine times, and then in the last chapters of the book, chapter fifty four through sixty six, it's not there at all. So if you look at this idea of servant songs, twenty times in less than 12 chapters this is a heavy theme and that's what doom was talking about this servant song this identity of this servant is important it's talked about a lot but the question is who is it and if you look at different scholars they really don't have a clear picture truly they don't there's there's different different arguments however I can show you in scripture, and I'm going to in a few minutes, what I think is is an answer that works for this. And so, basically, the idea is, you've got to figure out who the servant is. Well, the servant, first of all, most scholars say, is the nation of Israel. The servant is the nation of Israel. But the problem with that, excuse me, is that, if you read this, verses 1 through 9, it starts out where that word could make sense that this servant is talking about the nation, but it gets too personal. It really sounds like it's talking about an individual. And so there are rabbis and Christian scholars who have come to understand that this servant song is not just talking about the nation of Israel, but it's talking about one who represents the nation of Israel, kind of like a president or a king or a prime minister would. So one who represents Israel is the servant of the Lord. And then taking it one step further, this one who represents Israel as its king or its leader or its prime minister is the Messiah, the anointed one. And so there's this understanding that this servant song is talking about the Messiah. Now, um, one of the things that it says in chapter 42, verses 1 through 4, that's all we're going to talk about, I mean, no, not yet, 1 through 9. Verses one through nine, he says there's I'm sorry, I'm I'm struggling here because my Bible doesn't have the verse numbers in it and I'm <laughs> I'm confusing myself. Um, it says let me let me put it in my notes. Um well, I got I got it in my notes okay. here, I've just gotta find it. Forgive me. I'm sorry, folks. There it is. Verse (laughs) 6. It was not looking right. Verse 6 of chapter 42. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness, calling the servant. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, as a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind To bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. And so verses 6 and 7 are saying that this servant has a job to do. And the job is to be a covenant for the people and to bring the gospel, if you will, the light of of God to the nations. And if you remember back when God initially set up his relationship with, with Abram, And gave him the new name Abraham. He said you're going to be a father of many. And from your family. From you will come one. Who will bless all of the nations. Your family will be a blessing to all the nations. And we understand that that blessing of all the nations. Is the Messiah that comes from the line. Of Abraham. And ultimately out of Abraham. uh, Isaac then Isaac comes Jacob. And out of Jacob um, comes. (coughs) Excuse me comes. Judah and out of Judah. Comes King David. And out of King David comes. Jesus the Messiah. So this is talking about a Messiah. But the question is, I'm speaking to you from the year 2017. So I can look back and see how this works. Isaiah was talking before, long before, hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And so how in the world were the people then to know and understand that this was a Messiah? And so let me show you where some of the scholars have come to this idea that it is the Messiah that we're talking about. First of all, in chapter 1, chapter 42, verse 1 through 4, it says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit on him. So there's one clue. I have put my spirit on him. God has put his spirit on the anointed one, the Messiah. Number two, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street A bruised reed he will not break and faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice and he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Still, looking at those words, how do you get Jesus out of that? Again, let's let's look at it real quick. God's spirit is on him He's going to bring forth justice. He's not going to be loud, outspoken, causing a big uproar. It says he's not going to cry out loud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. He's gentle. It says a bruised reed he will not break. And faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for it. How do we know this is Jesus? Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. Does somebody have it? I mean, are you guys there? I want to give you a chance to turn to it. I'll read it, but I, I just want to make sure you're there. Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 to 21. It says, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what what was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit on him. He will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. The Bible itself tells us that Jesus is this servant of the Lord, this Messiah, that has the Spirit of God on him, who's going to bring about that which has been prophesied now what is the role of this servant we've talked a little bit about his attributes and about what he has but what is his role and again if you were to if we were to go back through and read isaiah 42 verses 1 through 4 something would jump out at you as it jumped out at me in 4 verses it says he will bring forth justice to the nations he will faithfully bring forth justice and he will continue and not grow faint or be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth. So that's, to me, a pretty prominent statement in four verses. There's this this emphasis on the, us, the Messiah, the anointed one, the servant of the Lord, bringing about justice so what is justice? What, what is this idea of justice? And the idea of justice, or the, the, to understand justice, we need to understand what the Hebrew is. And the Hebrew for justice is mishpat. M-I-S-H-P-A-T. Mishpat. That's the Hebrew word. Now, Hebrew, I mean, the, the Hebrew word justice means basically treating people fairly or equitably. So to bring justice, according to the Bible, is to treat people equitably. It means acquitting or punishing every person on the merit of their case. It means, regardless of who they are, race or social status, Or anything else, the same goes for everyone who does. Anyone who does the same wrong gets the same penalty. That's what mishpat means. However, it means more than just punishing wrongdoing. The emphasis of mishpat also is giving people what is due them. For example. We're not going to turn there this morning, but if you were to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 18, you would read the instructions that were given to the Israelites that the priests, the Levites, were not to have their own inheritance, but that they were to be supported by the people. In other words, every time an offering was made the people of God would bring their animals for sacrifice and portions of the sacrifice would be taken by the Levites, by the priests, to be used to support and feed their households. And it it literally was known, this this Deuteronomy 18 rule of giving the priests what was their due, it literally became known as the priest's mishpah. That's what they called it. it. So it's not just punishing when punishment is necessary and doing it fairly and equitably, but it is also giving people what is due them. What, what are their rights, if you will. So there's this idea, this, this, this idea that we're told that Mishpat is what Jesus is supposed to be bringing to the world. The Messiah, the, uh, the servant of the Lord, is supposed to bring this justice to to the world, he said, "That's his. That's one of his functions, according to the prophecy of Isaiah." Now, mishpat. Let me read this statement from a guy named Hansen, because I really liked it and I wanted you to hear it. Mishpat is the order of compassionate justice that God has created, and upon which the wholeness of the universe depends. Let me repeat that. Mishpat is the order of compassionate justice that God has created and upon which the wholeness of the universe depends. If we don't have mishpat, we end up with chaos. If people are not treated appropriately and right, evil rises up. If we do that which is right and appropriate to every human being, evil doesn't have the opportunity to rise up because hate doesn't rise up in the heart of the people who are being mistreated. Why are we tempted to cause harm to other people? Because chaos is what the enemy of our souls desires. He wants to steal and kill and destroy because it brings ultimate harm to God, to God's heart. So Jesus, as the Anointed One, as the Servant of the Lord, His role was to bring justice. Justice is punishing the things that are wrong and exonerating or quitting those that are that, that are right, but also giving them what giving people what is what they are due. And it is also to prevent chaos. It is to prevent. Um, Uh, evil from having a a reign in the world. The problem is when you don't do it according to the way God wants it done and you take it into your own hands then this idea of mishpat from the human perspective becomes jihad or harem to put in a Hebrew mindset or What was the other one? (laughs) I had three. Oh, yeah. Crusades. You see, the Jewish people harammed anything that wasn't godly. And what that means was they destroyed it completely to do away with it. Or jihad, the Muslim people to do away with anything that turns people away from God and destroy it completely. That's why we hear that in our news about ISIS destroying Christian and Jewish relics and temple, I mean, and, and historical places. Why? Because it's turning the heart of the people away from Allah. And the Crusades was exactly the same thing. The Crusades were the Christians going into the Middle East and trying to cast out the Muslims who were taking over. So human beings, when they try to do what is right for God, do this mishpat, bring justice, the end result is they bring harm and death and destruction because they get so twisted almost in their thought process. Um, fundamentalist in the way that they respond to things. Let me bring it into my own world. I am not going to vote for anybody who doesn't believe exactly the way I believe because if they don't believe exactly the way I believe, that's what God told us to believe, then I'm not going to let them be in power. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily the most appropriate way to look at what your responsibility is as a a voter in in a nation. Because... There's that same mindset that it has to be this way or I destroy it and it can't be part of my world. And let's, I don't want to be political, but let's look at the other side of the coin that's going on right now in our world. Not my president. Not mine. See, I refuse to allow the reality to happen. Or I'm going to do everything I can to kick and scream to fight against it. Which is still this idea of mishpat, trying to be just and doing the right thing all the time and not allowing what you think to be right to ever be thwarted by anything that's evil and destructive and going to bring chaos, and so I'm going to destroy it before it brings destruction. But see, it's all God, it's all humanity. It's all mind, minded through humanness, not through the mind of Christ, through godliness, through trying to be Christ-like. There is a, 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 um, a Latin phrase, and it's on the screen. It's called lex talionis. Lex talionis basically means retribution, retributive justice, retribution that's appropriate and right. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Somebody does this, then they can be punished. But you don't destroy them. You hold back, you restrain. And still, in that, it's still not Christ-like and Christ-minded. Because what did Jesus say? If somebody hates on you, you love on them. If somebody despitefully uses you, you rejoice. You don't fight back. You don't fight for your rights. You rejoice. You turn the other cheek. That's what you're supposed to do. And see, in our minds, we keep thinking, Mishpat, 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 I've got to find justice, I've got to seek justice. But the reality is, Mishpat, Mishpat, Mishpat is more than just justice, it's also justice, giving people what is their due. And this is an interesting verse. James chapter 1, verse 27, we read it at the very beginning of our service. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And you see, there's this balance here. I need to stay in right relationship with God by not allowing the world to stain me, so I have to guard against any evil from coming into my world. But at the same time, I need to go into the areas of the world where there's problems, and bring mishpat, justice, justice. And that, according to the Word of God, is what, how God sees pure and undefiled religion. It's a half and half thing. Or not half and half, but it's a, it's a two-sided coin, I guess, is the better way to say it. The thing that, that was so cool for me when I was preparing this... Have you ever had God just kind of go... Dink, and a light comes on for you as you're reading or as you're studying... And as I was looking at all of this idea of mishpat and... Oh, there was one other Hebrew where we talked about it in the past. It's called tzedakah. And what it is is doing righteously. Doing things that are good and blessing other people. Tzedakah. Mishpat and tzedakah are kind of a... a, 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 They go hand in hand a lot of time in Jewish tradition and in teachings in the scriptures. It talks about the idea of doing justly and living righteously. Doing justly and living righteously. It's kind of like what we just saw in James chapter 1. Pure and undefiled religion is doing justice and living pure, undefiled. And as I was reading through all of this and and thinking about this and chewing on this, the Lord whispered to me the verse out of Hebrews. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and, and forever. So God there's such a dichotomy between the picture of God in the Old Testament who said kill all and the picture of God in the New Testament that's grace and love and mercy and I think it's that for me I think it's not that there's a difference between who God was and how he related to human beings but that from our Western perspective we don't understand what Mishpat is Mishpat is a two-sided coin. It is doing righteousness and not allowing evil and giving people the punishment that's due when they, when they sin. But at the same time, it's giving people what they what do. If they're poor, give them food and give them, money, give them money and give them clothing. If they're sick, go and minister to their bodies. If they're in prison, go there and visit with them and bring light to them. And see, it's this two-sided way of living, I think, even for Christians. It is a matter of having the mind of Christ. It is a matter of being Christ-like. We say that we are Wesleyan-Arminian in our theology, which means I have the right to choose to be like Jesus. And if I'm going to be like Jesus, Jesus was not self-promoting. Kind of like what it says in Isaiah chapter forty-two, verses one through four. He wouldn't go out into the streets and going, "Hey, everybody, listen to me!" But people were drawn to him, and the end result was his whole focus was bringing justice, righting that which is wrong, giving people that which is their due. The uh, the woman who was brought to Jesus, who had been caught in adultery, what happened? They were trying to get Jesus to do mishpat. But what Jesus did was both. Let the one who's without sin cast the first stone. Mishpat. Where are your accusers? Neither do I. But go away and don't sin anymore. Mishpat. It's a two-sided coin. It's a way to understand how God relates to all of us. There is mishpat, where if you do wrong and you rebel, you will pay. But there is also mishpat, where God will give you what is your due. And he will do it out of love and mercy and grace for all of us. And that's, for me, eye-opening. I have struggled for years with... How can there be such a dichotomy between the Old Testament and the New Testament is the same God? But in understanding this Hebrew term Mishpat, the difference between justice and justice helps me so much in knowing how I can be Christ like and how Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever, and it all comes together. And this is it's just been cool for me in, in my study this week. So I wanted to share it with you. Let's pray.